Hey, this is the Last Coffee House. We are talking about a non-fiction work from 2019 called Alienated America by Timothy P. Carney. The subtitle is While Some Places Thrive. What? No, I wrote this wrong. While some while some places thrive, while others close. No, he definitely did not make that the subtitle. Why did I put in the notes wrong? Okay, so don't hold that against him. Uh, he's a he's a columnist. Again, this was published in 2019. It's about why some areas in America are doing great and why others are not. So the content, the overall thesis is that places that voted for Trump were those for whom the American dream was dead, and places with healthy communities did not vote for Trump. There you go. <laughs> His prescription is to have healthy communities, and that will solve all of our problems. To demonstrate this argument, he goes with some examples. There's Chevy Chase. He compares to Oostburg, Wisconsin. He explains that Chevy Chase, Maryland, it's the wealthiest place in the country, and then potentially on the planet, uh, relative to overall home values and median income and all that. And the people there did not vote for Trump and express a lot of high marks on happiness indexes, and they're all civically engaged elites. He explains that for these people, these elites in Chevy Chase, it makes sense that they are, they wouldn't vote for somebody like Trump because the American dream is working out for them. Now there are a lot of, okay, I'm trying to do just a simple recollection so you know where we are of the content of this book, but so many things are so vaguely defined that it's barely even an argument. So I'm, I'm trying to do it. <laughs> I'm trying to keep my happy voice and just go through it, but it's it's pretty difficult. Okay, so Chevy Chase, Maryland, wealthy elites, they're civically engaged, they didn't vote for Trump. He also uses a place called Oostburg, Wisconsin, and he explains that even though their median income is only around like 50-something thousand dollars, so they don't match the same category as the wealthy civically engaged elites, in Oostburg, Wisconsin, they also didn't vote for Trump. The explanation is because they're Dutch religious, so they're strict religious, they are strictly religious and have a close close-knit religious community. So he's explaining that with the wealthy, civically engaged elites, they have civic engagement, they have a strong community, they support each other, so they didn't need to vote for Trump because they believe in the American dream. The religious people in Oostburg, Wisconsin, same thing. They're not wealthy elites, but they have a, a strong religious community, and so they don't need to be elites to be able to have the kind of engagement that creates a strong community. So he's saying that, okay, these are two different ways to look at it, that they believe in the American dream and therefore they didn't vote for Trump. Now, the, this is actually restricted in context, in scope, in that he's particularly looking at his earliest supporters, so primary supporters, Republican primary supporters of Trump who voted for him instead of other Republican options like Cruz. And he's trying to find, okay, what characteristics define the people who voted for Trump early on? And again, he uses this American dream terminology. He wants to redefine the American dream to mean it's particularly about community and having a strong community as opposed to something economic. But it's ultimately a moot point. It's incredible vague, but anyway, uh, we're gonna go down the line. He talks about how women were introduced into the workforce after World War II, and that dramatically changed the way that the workforce functioned and everything else, society functioned. He talks about the 1950s protection of white males. And, and that those protections were going away around the 50s, and that wages for men flatlined after that time. He talks about the phenomenon of men making less than their fathers, and how that's significant. And of course, all of these things are extremely complex topics that
that each would take somebody who has a specialty just in this particular area to write like a thousand page book to have any kind of a semblance of an understanding of what actually happened there. But here we go. Here we are. He talks about immigration and how in counties where there were more immigrants, people were more likely to disproportionately support Trump in the beginning and where there were deaths of despair. So overdoses and suicides, those kinds of deaths, those areas were more likely to support Trump early on. And of course, again, this is just in the primary. So it's not as you go along because, you know, 40% of the country voted for Trump. So you can't really cordon them off in this, this kind of clean way. He talks about the increasing class clustering. He specifically talks about it in terms of the elites are more mobile and started clustering around themselves. So that made, gave them stronger communities. So he is mostly an advocate of geographic determinism. So he's saying that places have a causal impact on the way that the people function within those places and says that the erosion of community is what killed marriage. And he talks about the retreat from marriage specifically so that it's not an economic trend. He says that elite women still get married disproportionately and that it was more poor women who stopped getting married. He brings up in defense of this point, I believe a small North Dakota town wherein there was some kind of a job boom there that brought in a lot of young men who were unmarried who had then a lot of resources and they didn't go and get married so therefore it ex it proves that it's not about the economics it's about something else there was an employment boom and not a marriage boom again he reiterates that erosions of community destroy marriage and he says it's not a question of genes it's a question of environment and of course again i'd like to reiterate he is a columnist <laughs> so he apparently figured it out figured out the whole nature nurture thing for us all so much appreciated he has a couple of i just these blurby kinds of quotes that i i put in here civil society is what makes us human life can't be fulfilling unless you feel needed again just vague statements he talks about church and this is kind of the big comeuppance of all of this is that church that the early strongly religious people so the ones that went to church you know every week those ones did not support trump they were more likely to support a different conservative early on but people who were just kind of moderately or mildly religious so people didn't go to church but claimed to be religious something like that or just occasionally went to church on holidays those ones were more likely to be disenfranchised and have all the negative social and economic markers that he talks about he talks about secularism in general being a problem and he talks about the hajj pilgrimage and the people who there's a study that talked about how the pilgrimage made fostered greater solidarity amongst people even if they didn't end up going on the pilgrimage it just fostered generally greater solidarity and they were nicer to people in general and wanted to be more inclusive and, and all that. It was all a, a kumbaya effect when they had the Hajj, even if they didn't go on it. Because there's a limited number of people who get to go every year. And he talked about, uh, and this, oh my gosh. So he talked about the rates of religious people dropping and the reasons for that. The reasons he <laughs> referenced were things like uh, new fancy gadgets. <laughs> So we have new phones, so people don't need religion anymore. Uh, free sex. Uh, so we have free sex, so we don't need to go through a religious institution to get to marriage to have the sex. And the church scandal. Uh, sexual abuse scandal. So, saying that those things, uh, I... I <laughs> I don't know. He didn't use a whole lot of evidence related to this. So this is just more offhand columnist kind of analysis. Uh, I'm sure the church scandals had a huge 
<laughs> had a huge impact on church attendance. But of course, this is very complex, and I'm sure that if you really studied it, a big proportion of it would have to do with education, increased rates of education, and greater access to information would have a lot to do with a drop in religion. But it's just funny that he doesn't, he specifically doesn't mention things like that because those really paint religion itself in a bad light as opposed to the person who's going away from religion or the fringe institutional problems of the sex abuse that has nothing to do with actually the doctrines of religion, it's something else. So he tries to carve out the, the inviolable religious faith and all that and community and religious institutions, he carves that out and says, no, this is fine, and all the propositions associated with it. But these other things, you know, we can set over here and say those are the reasons that there's a decline, whatever. Over-centralization, he talks about that, the too much centralization in government that erodes local communities. He did, and this is one of the few points and still it's relatively vague. He talks about some study related to how local banks are more in tune with what's going on locally. So if you have a, a more centralized position, if you have like just a national bank who has national standards over how they're going to give out money, where they're going to invest and all that, then they're not going to have as much of an understanding or interest in the local areas that are going to have their own particular needs. So I'm sure that it has a huge impact when it comes to the health of a community and what gets done and what doesn't get done. I'm sure it has some kind of an impact. Again, it has to be quantified with controls for everything else, but you know, uh, he references white nationalism, which is just in vogue nowadays. Uh, barely know what that means. It's mostly just a, a scare word that people use nowadays. And he talks about the success sequence. This is what elites do. They go through this success sequence. Uh, school, college, marriage, babies. So you go to school, you go to college, get married, then you have the babies. And he talks about how elites have to share the roadmap to a good life and stop being so stingy with all their... <laughs> their knowledge to impart onto the poor denizens. He even uses the term noblesse oblige. He says it's not noblesse, but it's, it's still something that the elites, we elites should be doing for all the poor unwashed denizens of the world. Great, thank you. And again, he comes back to religious institution. That's the answer to all these community problems and therefore to fixing the American dream for the people who don't believe it exists and to fix marriage and make everything super happy and swell again. And at the end, he, he brings up some goofy, analysis where he talks about how people don't need bigger houses because expensive houses have more rooms that just gives you more stuff to do in your room <laughs> like at home i was like oh okay so great no that's that's wonderful so my thoughts you could probably imagine i didn't even go get any critical responses related to this anyway my thoughts it draws massive conclusions from extremely limited data it's often just the guy the columnist making a determination based on a univariate analysis just of his own making at the time that just says well, I think that these relationships matter. He talks about correlation in the terms of the people he's citing. So the people he's citing will say that they say that there's a correlation to this. And, and there are a couple of things that he'll say, well, this doesn't prove causation or anything like that. But other times he just races ahead with causation. He doesn't say, well, this is a correlation. We have no idea whether there's causation here. Here are the things we'd have to control for to determine this is causation. He just says, no, this causes that, that causes that, that causes that. It's just pop sociology selling an ideology. And the ideology is religious institutions. He always, he fundamentally has a chicken egg problem of where the cause actually starts. These are extremely
extremely complex sociological and psychological questions. So where do you start from that? Where do you get to the causes? Where do you get to the first cause that gets you where, where you need to go? And how does that actually happen? When did it start happening? Where does it start in the family? Where How much do the memes as they're transmitted intermingle with the genes of the person who didn't get married before? If your parents didn't get married or didn't stay married or whatever. How do you cut those things apart and decide which is causing what? Not only that, but there could be just long-term demographic trends that better explain this kind of a situation wherein you have people who are more inclined to get married clustering together and people who are kind of in the middle when it comes to getting married clustering with people who are in the middle and people who don't want to get married clustering together as well. So he talks about isolation a lot as well and you could understand how if you have a, a long-term demographic trend just like we see with the political interests. So this is something we saw in The Big Sort where they talked about how long-term people who have similar political interests are clustering together and that makes some sense of the extremes nowadays. And of course, that's an oversimplification of all sorts of stuff, but still there's a lot of data that suggests that there's at least some broad demographic trend in that direction and there could be a similar broad demographic trend related to people who are inclined versus disinclined to marriage or inclined to be civically engaged versus disinclined to be civically engaged. When you have those people clustering together, then you don't have the spillage between those groups and you don't have them engaging in those institutions of vocation. So you have to control for all those things. It's a, it's a fundamental problem of determining, okay, nature, nurture, genes, culture, all of those things, very complex, very difficult to parse out because we don't even have a basic understanding of what units to use when evaluating like psychological questions. And we're dealing with those to the nth degree, just millions of people and how they function under the weight of all these different factors. So it's, there's a fundamental problem with him claiming causation all over the place. He also starts from a very limited perspective. It's just Trump primary voters. Uh, he decides to define the American dream as X instead of Y, and there's it doesn't really accomplish much. It's just so we can use the term American dream. He implicates way too many complex con concepts and has little understanding of what decoding the causation would actually mean. Uh, he outright says that it was a it was a, the erosion of community that caused a decline in marriage. Well, why did the community erode? And do you really know that one followed the other? Or that one that was a, a causal impact on the other one? Really, he's just trying to sell religious institutions. He's trying to sell an ideology. He says that it's it's much more difficult to just be rich one day. <laughs> <laughs> than it would be to just join a church. So there, that's the easier one. Because like I said, in Chevy Chase and Oostberg, you have the same community involvement. So if you want to go after one of those, just go after the church because it's so much easier and cheaper. And he talks about how secular institutions just can't do it because they can't keep people around. There's not a strong enough bond or something like that. Again, more propositions just tossed out there. But he t and the patronizing noblesse oblige that the elite can just impart all this wisdom onto the, the unwashed masses. Like that's all it would take. You just uh, tell somebody, hey, get married instead. <laughs> Don't have children out of wedlock. And that just solves it. Again, it's about the ideology. It's not about actually figuring out what the answer is to these problems. And this just isn't it. This isn't it how we answer complex problems. This is pop sociology. And this is for people who already just want to say, oh yeah, no, yeah, marriage and, and religion. We just need more religion and who have no concept whatsoever of what it actually means anything. Okay, let's lab it. So liabilities, it's massively complex 
questions implicating dozens of disciplines, including sociology, psychology, evolutionary biology, anthropology, statistics, and many more that you'd have to have a real understanding and working knowledge of to really be able to answer these questions. I've read, and in the future, I'm going to actually, <laughs> I'll be able to index all the books that I've read related to any given topic, but I've read at least 40 books specifically on this kind of a topic just in the recent past, and still, obviously, I don't have a specialization in any of the areas that are necessary. I didn't spend a decade studying any one of these areas to the degree necessary to really be able to determine what the correct answer is related to any of these things. And even given that, it would probably take some kind of a quantum computer to really determine what a legitimate answer would be to these questions. The anchor here, the weight of the anchor, the Socratic anchor, and remember the anchor's about knowing how little you know. So, so really here, I'm just questioning the propositions levied and the conclusions drawn therefrom. There's nowhere near enough humility in this. <laughs> to accept this stuff and it's there are so many missing chunks here when it comes to telling this actual story he's taking on way too much biting off way more than he can possibly chew so when it comes to the anchor that's weighing down my confidence in my in the propositions i'm living i'm mostly just attacking his and it's pretty easy to see the seams amidst all of these claims so it's not a very heavy anchor bias not much of a source of bias except for that related to religion so the possible bias could be really because i'm an anti-theist i think religion is not just wrong but bad overall although I'm <laughs> I am having to reevaluate that position relative to the social justice clown world that we currently live in and it's so funny to think about okay well one type of insanity is a little better than another type but once we clean up the clown world I I don't know that it will be I think we will have gotten over a horrible pathogen and get to a point where we can actually just try to answer some complex questions instead of just spouting ideologies all over the place so it's possible that I have some kind of bias related to being anti-theist and anti-religious in general, but I don't think so. Of course, this didn't have a whole lot to do about religion. It was just the ideology that's being sold at the end. It was the package that was coming at the end. It wasn't the actual substance of the argument. So anyway, that's that's potential bias. So overall, just alienated America by Timothy B. Carney. He's a conservative. He's a Republican. Doesn't seem to be a big fan of Trump since he, see, he sees Trump as a, an illness that needs to be, you know, it's an aberrant behavior that needs to be explained. But overall, I mean, there are much better ways to spend your book reading time. Uh, one book that I'm reading right now, Thinking Fast and Slow, I think much more substantively interesting and answers different questions, but it's, it goes into a more deeply into things, into real answers for questions that implicate all of these kinds of issues. And we really just, we don't need this kind of stuff anymore. We really don't need people selling ideologies and cherry picking studies to be able to do that. We need to move past this nonsense. We need to be genuine in our attempts to try to answer questions and I know he's trying to sell a book. He's trying to entertain. He's not trying to figure out the answers to all the big questions. But still, this isn't the kind of thing that we need. This is this is like the pop journalists who are just going out there to try to get clicks and don't have any idea or interest in trying to be trying to have that background integrity that's really putting yourself aside and try to figure out answers to questions. And it's just it's really frustrating. This isn't what we need. This isn't the answer. We need to get to a point where we're really trying to answer questions and checking ourselves at the door. Period. So anyway. That's the last coffee house. You can follow me at John Shade Reads. I'm going to have a book that's going to be coming out relatively soon. Thanks for listening. Best of everything. <laughs> have a good rest of your week. All right, bye. <laughs>